Welcome to the Upper Room Community Church Podcast. Wherever you are in your journey, we hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit us at upperroom.ca. It's always interesting sitting at the front and everyone fills in in the first few songs. Uh, there's an author that uh, you might know his name, but you've probably never read him. His name's Leo Tolstoy. Uh, Leo says a really interesting line. He says, uh, in the name of God, stop what you're doing, cease your work, and look around you. Uh, I love that we have a chance uh, on a Sunday morning to kind of take a pause and look at a conversation that I think is one of those ones that we have a hard time connecting our ancient faith with our modern world with. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Brett. I do come from Ajax, so it was a wonderful drive here today. Friday night will be a very different conversation getting here. Uh, I was a teacher. I'm actually trained high school, but spent my entire career teaching uh, mostly rotary science to grade sevens and eight students in the Melbourne community of Scarborough. And I left that, I think I'm at 15 years now, that I do nothing else other than this. I travel and speak full time on issues that I think we've often forgotten to talk about, especially within our church walls. Uh, today we're doing mental health. Friday, uh, we're actually going to be talking my talk called Navigating Everything, looking at parenting. I also speak on sex, pornography, men. I challenge us as men to be better fathers, better husbands, better boyfriends. I speak on dating and media. Uh, but this is probably one of my favorite talks that I do. Uh, this is uh, my uh, family. This is my wife, Dawn, uh, and my kids, Zoe and Ben. Uh, now, the only issue with this photo, as I flick right past it immediately, uh, the only issue with this photo is, is that it's um, two things. One, it's old. It's eight years old. And two, it's a lie. Uh, I'm not smiling, like I'm smiling in this photo, but in the insides, I'm a wreck. Uh, I was this far away in this photo from having a panic attack, and I told nobody. Like many of us with mental health, we smile and we continue on with our days, and insides, we're just dying. Uh, my daughter Zoe is now in grade 12, my son Ben is now in grade 11. Uh, my life is an interesting one because I actually have a day when my mental health changed. I left teaching. I did a program called the Arrow Leadership Program, which is a leadership thing out in British Columbia. I finished that and began a master's degree of evangelism and leadership at a school down in Chicago called Wheaton. And at that moment, I began working too much. I'm now an international student. I need to pay for it. International students is expensive. So suddenly, I'm working not a normal docket. I'm now working 275 to 300 speaking dates a year which is crazy, and I do now acknowledge that. Uh, but in those days, I once spoke 32 times in 14 days. But in those moments, I was like, oh, I can pay for my schooling, I can pay for my flight. Uh, my board of directors, my wife, my friends, my family, each sat me down and had these small interventions with me saying, you gotta slow down. And by the time I'm, by the way, I'm speaking, I'm doing school, and I'm writing a book a year, and I'm running a nonprofit, and I'm married with children, involved in church, I'm coaching rep baseball. Everyone said, slow down. I said, March 1st, 2012. Because if I can just make it to March 1st, 2012, everything will change because the masters will be done. And I made it. And March 1st, 2012, I woke up two hours early, which is weird. I thought I'm going to sleep in, like I have kids. I'm not sleeping in, but maybe not 5 a.m. Five became four, four became three. Three became, I'm just up most of the night feeling tingly, if that makes any sense, and not sleeping. And then I began to have, uh, let's just call it weirdness as I was traveling. I'm at a church in Woodstock, uh, six, five, six hundred students in the audience. I'm kind of doing my normal walking across the front. And for the first time in my life, my knees buckled and I thought I was going to pass out. Everything went snowy. And I said to the uh, pastor, can I have a break? Never have I ever asked for a break. And suddenly I find myself off to the side. A nurse has given me the smallest juice box I've ever seen in my life. And she says, are you diabetic? And I'm like, I, I don't know. Went home, went to my doctor. My doctor said, Brett, you have anxiety. I said, no, no, doctor, I, I speak on anxiety. He said, no, 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 you have anxiety. It was this weird interaction we had. Uh, and he changed a few things, added a couple of easy, simple meds to my life, and I went home, and a few weeks later, I'm like, okay, I'm good. And so I was speaking to 10 or 11 Catholic high schools in the Windsor area. Uh, second day into my tour, 8 a.m., I found myself crying in my car. There's nothing going on, and I'm like, I'm not Okay. Went home, back to the doctor. Now sleep clinics are involved, specialists are involved. A few weeks later, I thought, I'm good. Can you see this up and down? And you think you're fine. And so I was speaking at a camp called Camp, I think it's called Camrose out in Alberta. Thousand plus people came to hear me speak from Christian Reformed denomination, and I had my first panic attack. Can you picture this morning? Welcome, Brett Allman, and my car drives off into the distance onto the 400. Like, that's what I did. I drove away, and I cocooned myself in the hotel and flew home on the Sunday. My first panic attack, fight or flight, I fled. 
It all came to head, though, that summer. I was speaking at a camp called Lakeshore Pentecostal Camp out in Coburg, and I went boating for the day, had a good day. I said to my wife, I think I'm coming out of this, coming out of the McDonald's a few hours later with our families. You know, in most McDonald's's, if that's the word, you have to walk through the drive through to get to your cars. I thought I was being hit by a car. And then I realized I'm well past the drive through I'm falling into a parked car. And I called out for my wife. She grabbed me like a blind person, walked me to my car. I didn't leave the cottage for the week. I didn't leave my home for five months, and I didn't work for a year. There's irony in my journey in that it, that was 2012. We're now 2020, and I still struggle with panic, and I still struggle with anxiety. It's actually why I sit down. Uh, this morning, please be a good, not just a listener, but be a good learner. I think we're great listeners as Christians. I don't know if we're good learners. If I said to you, what were the last 10 sermons you heard, and how did they change your life, your faith, your practice, your relationships, anything? If you can't tell me, I kind of question what we do each week, because the goal is actually change, right? Somehow there's a catalyst each Sunday, and we go back to our workplace, back to our school, and something is taken back. You can take notes physically or digitally, take photos of any slide that you want, and please have a takeaway at the end of this, something that you can go and tangibly do for you and your family. And this little take-home button just means I know I'm here for the morning. And so anytime there you see the take-home button, it means the blog, the article, whatever is on the screen, I've linked for you directly on my website. So uh, some quick ground rules. Uh, first, I would just say this, we need to get this right, and often we are not. If you ask the majority of people, like myself, who struggle with mental health, they will tell you that the church has hurt them more than it's helped them. And that's not okay. And there are things that we can change and we can have some good conversations about this and look at how to do it better. Uh, number two, I do come from a faith perspective. I grew up Baptist, I married a Pentecostal. It's not supposed to happen, I kid. Uh, I now attend a church called, well, it used to be called C4, now it's Sanctus and Ajax, but uh, I do come from a faith perspective, but this is a very practical conversation. Number three, there's lots of statistics, but please don't come and argue statistics. Uh, often people will come up after and say, Brett, you said that was 85. I believe it's 88, and I will say to you gracefully, I don't care. It's the same. That's a lot. Like, statistics are just snapshots of a time and a place in the world that doesn't exist anymore. So 80, 70, 90, they're all a lot. 20, 10 is a little. Uh, and here's the most important. If you've never met me before, I need you to trust me for one hour. I have no ulterior motives. Uh, we're not leaving Christian faith. We're, we're not changing our philosophies of, of Christianity, but we're looking at how to connect our faith with our world, and we're looking at what do we actually do if we struggle. So this is the, my favorite photo. I found this uh, one day, and I'm like, this was my journey. Uh, I found myself at home, and my friends and pastors and leaders would come into my house, and I'm not leaving my home at this point, and each of them would come in and sit beside me, and they would say to me comments like, have you tried? And then they would add something onto that. The big one was, have you tried Jesus? And I would say, what do you mean by that? They're like, you know, Jesus. I'm like, I think I know Jesus. What do you mean by have I tried Jesus? Like he's a Kit Kat chocolate bar, like take a bite. Uh, and they would often say this to me, isn't that what I'm supposed to say to you? And I would say, I don't know. And they would leave and I would sit. The next person would come in and they'd say, have you tried running? And I'm like, I haven't left the house in five months. And they're like, but have you tried running? And it's like, okay, this is really a disconnect. The next person would say, have you tried these milkshakes? And I'm like, milkshakes are healing? Because if they are, tiger tail milkshakes for all of us. But uh, they're not ice cream milkshakes. They're like energy milkshakes, lots of vitamins and minerals. Five months into my journey, many people walking through my house. Uh, my wife said to me one day, we need to talk. It wasn't a conversation I was expecting. Uh, she was worried I was going to kill myself. And we had a long talk that day. And she said, Brett, you need to create or you're going to die. And she called me a creative, and I'm like, I'm not a creative. Musicians are creatives. Painters are creatives. And she said, well, you're a weird creative. <clears throat> and she said, you take complexity and make it simple. That's what you do for a living. You read hundreds of books, take big things and make it simple that you can do in a short service. And she said, what would you do if you ever worked? What would you do if you ever spoke again? And I'm like, I'm never speaking again. I packed up everything, put it away in my garage. I couldn't leave my house. How would I ever, ever get up on stage and speak again? And she said, what would you do if you ever did? I remember pausing and I said, I'd love to answer a question. What do you do if you're struggling with anxiety? How do we have an answer, biblical and practical? Those words are not oxymorons. Everything we, we say and sing and preach must be able to be taken back to regular life. And so I began the creation of this talk. And here's what I want to do this morning. I want to look at anxiety and depression. And you're like, Brett, mental health is so much bigger. I'm like, yeah, 
You could take a four-year university course on mental health, uh, but we're going to look at anxiety and depression, panic as part of that. We're going to look at first steps, like what do you actually do if you struggle or your kids struggle? We're going to talk about faith, how it plays a role. Where is God in this journey? Give you some practical thoughts for you, your friends, your family, some leadership conversations, and we're done. And when I say we're done, I hope we're not. Uh, I've listened to the past few services you guys have done, and I'm really encouraged when I hear churches addressing real topics and real issues. And so I hope that this sparks conversation in, you know, in your families and where you work and, and just any time you're with other people. So depression and anxiety, I don't know if we even have good definitions of these words. There isn't a day in my life when I'm on, not on social media and someone doesn't say like, oh, I'm so depressed. And it's like, oh, you, did you have a bad day? Because that's the vernacular we're using. No one's saying, oh, I have major depression. But if you think of a continuum, like doing well to like major depression, well, where would seasonal affective disorder fit on that? Kind of like this morning, right? It's blah. A couple days this week, there was sun, everybody was smiling. Not today, not yesterday, it's kind of blah. Well, that affects 50% or more of us, but that's not major depression, but it's on the continuum. How about you've just had a loss, you've had a death, a marriage is broken up, you've had sickness, grade 12s, you don't get into the right college, university, or apprenticeship you're looking towards, and you have a season where you're not just feeling great, or maybe you just feel blah and you have no idea why. Maybe it's anxiety, again, feeling good to all the way to uh, social anxiety so bad that people will not come to church, but they'll watch this online later. Uh, I had an interesting version of anxiety a few weeks ago. I was speaking in Leamington, and just before I got on stage, I had an alert on my phone that some of you got, which said there's an incident at the Pickering Nuclear Station. I live seven kilometers from the Pickering Nuclear Station. My parents live three. And as I'm going on stage, it's like there's an incident, and then my phone dings, like, radiation is not in Leamington. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, so it was regular anxiety with new anxiety. Uh, what about anxiety as parents? We worry about our children, where they'll go to school, who they will marry. We worry about life and gas prices and politics. Do you see the problem here? Like, there's so many of the same words being used for different things. How do these things look like physiologically? How do they manifest in my body? Well, heart palpitations, headaches, dizziness, which is actually why I sit when I speak, sweating for no reason, uh, feeling like I'm going to die or have a heart attack, tightness in my chest, fog over my life, uh, can't think, can't read. Can't read's an interesting one. I once went to uh, my optometrist and I said, the words are moving on a page, and she said, um, do you have anxiety? And it was the first person who ever said that to me. She said, it could actually be anxiety. She checked my eyes. She said, your eyes are fine. When you're anxious, the words might actually do that. Interesting. Uh, feeling helpless, hopeless, worthless, disconnected, shortness of breath, cramps, depersonalization. I have 50 more. You get it. A lot of really interesting things. But for me, the bane of my existence is not sleeping. I've not slept through the night once since March 1st, 2012. I'm up every sleep cycle, every night. Last night, I was up seven times. If I get a two to three hour chunk, if you struggle with sleep, you get this. If you get a two to three hour chunk, it's like you got something, but many times then you're up and you're up, or you don't even know if you've fallen asleep. And what does that cause? Well, it causes a bit of anxiety. What does anxiety cause? Sleeplessness. And you begin to kind of create this rut in your life. Now, st now statistics, and there's a bunch of them, say a whole bunch of things. Let's do it different. By a quick show of hands, how many of you know someone who struggles with any form of mental health? Quick show of hands, please. Ten years ago, when I was in churches, I used to speak on self-harm and depression and things, and it would have been a quarter of the people. Today, there isn't many who don't know someone. This article says this, people have taken to exaggerating their everyday experiences and punctuating sentences with terminology appropriate for a psychiatrist's office. They aren't nervous about an upcoming work presentation. They have bad anxiety. They aren't uncomfortable to go to a big party where they don't know anyone. They have social anxiety. And they don't get butterflies in their stomach. They have panic attacks. Anxiety isn't cute. It's not some fashionable word we can just overuse. It's a debilitating disorder that between 40 and 60 million people in North America struggle with. Now, everyone deserves to be taken seriously. If you are nervous about an upcoming work presentation, that's okay. We can help you walk through that, but I would encourage you, maybe we don't use terms bad anxiety. You might be nervous or other things like that. Stephen Fry once said, if you know someone who's depressed, please resolve never to ask them why. Depression isn't a straightforward response to a bad situation. Depression just is like the weather. Now, like many quotes, you kind of go, most of the time, but what if? What if you just lost a family member? 
my father-in-law just went into uh, a old folks kind of senior's home with dementia, and you know what? It's been a blah kind of season for my, my family. And so there are sometimes things you go, you know, I've lost my wife, someone got cancer. There are things we go, there's reasons for it. Somebody emailed me this when I was at home, a metaphor for depression. You're stuck in a deep, dark hole in the ground. The walls are completely smooth and you don't have anything to help you get out. Most people, which is sad, just walk past the hole, but occasionally someone stops at the top, they look down and say, what's wrong? You tell them you're stuck in this hole and you can't get out, and they reply, so just climb up. You look all around and all you can say is, I can't, and they say, sure you can, and then they walk away. This was my journey in the church world, and again, this is not okay, and it's okay to call out things that are not okay, and it's okay to say, we don't have everything right and we need to get things better and we can talk about them and address them in better ways. Now, the one thing I would encourage all of us to do is to not share on social media things that use terms like all. So one that's going around again is this thing that like all smartphones are causing mental health. Like it's like all the mental health we have today is all based on smartphones. Please just click delete. Uh, is it an issue? Yes. We think the, if you look at the last 12 plus years, we've seen an increase in mental health, 25 to 40% but it doesn't mean it's just that as well. There's many other changes. The relentless pressure we put on students today, poor diet, lack of sleep. CEO of Netflix was being interviewed recently. They were asking about their biggest competition, would have assumed Amazon Prime, Disney Plus. He said sleep. Hmm. He said if we can just get people to sleep less, they'll watch more Netflix and we will win. I'm like, wow. Uh, how about just not being enough? How about dopamine? Every time your phone, even right now, buzzes in your pocket, every time my Apple Watch taps me to say the leaf scored or didn't, every time any of those things happen with a notification, you get a dopamine hit to your brain. Dopamine is the love drug, hug, kiss, same idea. But we don't know what happens when you get a million dopamine hits over 10 years. And we're trying to figure out what to do with that. How about overparenting? Parents, please come out Friday. We are overparenting our kids today so much. University, college, 20-somethings today are so often unprepared for life because we've done everything for them, and we create students who head off to college, university apprenticeships who are just not ready. One of the quotes I'll use calls a lot of young adults, not all, a lot, not quite fully formed as humans. Fascinating kind of statement. How about predisposition to mental health, trauma, something big has happened to you, burnout, breakdown, isolation or loneliness, sickness, like long-term unwellness or substance abuse. I think we as Canadians really began to address this conversation when they polled 1,600 students at U of A, University of Alberta, which is in Edmonton, and they were floored. 51% of students felt life was hopeless. One school, 51% said life is utterly hopeless. Now, the second one is the only one I don't care about. Felt overwhelmed by all they had to do. When did you poll people? Like my daughter next year will probably go to Laurier or Western. We were touring Laurier and she was a little nervous. She said, how will I find out where my classes are? And it's like, honey, you're not even accepted yet. Like when you do Frosh Week, they will tell you what buildings to go to. But it's interesting, right? Just the, you know, is it, is it Frosh Week? Is it first kind of exams? Like if you're in high school, you just finished exams, right? You were nervous or overwhelmed for a bit. Exhausted, not from physical activity, 87. Lonely, 62. Very sad, two-thirds of people. I love the wording, they didn't just say sad, they said very sad. So depressed it's difficult to function, over a third. Overwhelming anxiety, 52. Considered suicide, seven, attempted one. They made a premise, maybe it's just University of Alberta. I always just say, maybe the Edmonton Oilers are such a bad hockey team. Do not joke about that in Edmonton. Does not go over well at all, just to let you know. Uh, I kid with that. They made a premise so they could pull more people, and they did. Every college, every university in all of Canada. And each statistic rose just a little bit. I would put forth, it's from St. John's, Newfoundland to Victoria, British Columbia, and all the way north you can go. Every church, every school, every business, everywhere you work, everywhere I work, everywhere. This is where we are today. Now, I know we don't have time to walk through everything, so I've given you all kinds of viral videos, Claire Hughes and her trip across the country for mental health, TED Talks, and all these things are online. Two programs on panic. Someone said to me recently, what is a panic attack? And I'm like, it's interesting. You make an assumption everyone knows. Uh, so a panic attack would be like if I took a grenade, pulled the pin, and it exploded inside of me. But it's emotions. The one thing I remember from Panic Away from their ebook was just this one line, anxiety is just feelings. 
Anxiety is just feelings. They're, they're misplaced feelings, but they're just feelings. Can I assume uh, with how close you are, you've all been to Wonderland at least one day in your life? Uh, my kids would have loved to live up here. Uh, but like, you know, seasons passes, my kids go. Anytime I'm on a roller coaster, I'm on the front car or I'm not going on it. Anybody with me with that? Uh, good, a few of you. So if I'm on the Leviathan, one of their bigger ones, not their biggest, but if I'm on it, the little bar comes down. There's nothing in front of me. It turns the corner. It starts going up into the sky. You hear tick, tick, tick as it drags you up into the clouds. What happens in that moment, or for some of you in this moment as I'm even saying this? Your heart rate starts to rise. Your blood pressure starts to get higher. You break out in goosebumps. You are beginning a panic attack. But at Wonderland, you paid $65 for it for the day. You want it watching a scary movie. You don't want it sitting in church, out for lunch later, at work tomorrow, at school, or wherever else you might be. I had about 250 panic attacks and I stopped counting. I don't know why I was counting, but I was. And so I've just stopped counting, but I've had them. I'd wanted a Blue Jays game. We were given, for the first time in my life, the 200 seats, the club seats. Awesome, they bring food to you. Uh, I wasn't feeling well in inning one. Sixth inning, my anxiety's so high. I said to my wife, we gotta go. And I saw that look in her eye because there's things we lose out because of my struggles. By the time we at Ripley's, believe it or not, right next door, not Ripley's, believe it or not, Ripley's Aquarium, uh, very different conversations. Uh, I was so much uh, in a panic, I said to my wife, I have to sit on the ground. And I remember just feeling so discouraged. I'm 40 years of age and I can't even function getting to my car. There's also a difference between a panic attack and an anxiety attack. Uh, if what we would usually, and we use those terms interchangeably, but an anxiety attack actually usually comes from a stressor, exams, flying, something. Uh, whereas a panic attack, we say, comes out of the blue. And it seems like that. But when you have a panic attack, somehow it's still showing you something's wrong. There's still, right? Whether it's nutrition, whether it is stress, long term, other things. Now, I would put forward that we, uh, especially within our church world, gives different sets of rules for people with mental health than we do for people with other struggles. Look at the first comic. Person's throwing up in a toilet. Have you tried, you know, not having the flu? And I have, I don't know how many hundreds, if not thousands of messages that people have said, Brett, have you tried, you know, not having anxiety? Like, I, like if I could have thought my way out of it, I wouldn't have. Number two, the person's like profusely bleeding. It's like you're not even trying to stop bleeding. And the last one looks weird. It's a person giving themselves an insulin shot for diabetes. I don't think it's healthy. You have to take medication every day just to feel normal. Don't you worry it's changing you from who you really are. So I think we just all need to have a fair platform to begin as we look towards healing and hope. Now, I, you might have guessed, I'm not a preacher, I'm a teacher. Now, I think teaching preaches and preaching teaches, another conversation. Uh, but I'm a researcher, so I've read about 250 books on mental health, talked to tens of thousands of people who struggle, thousands of counselors, doctors, the list goes on. Number one question I get asked to this day, Brett, what about medicine? Now, let me just say this. The first nine or ten things here, no one cares. I have asthma, I have exercise-induced asthma. Once a year, if that, suddenly it's a perfect day, the clouds rush in, I suddenly can't breathe. And I reach for my inhaler and I take it, but no one ever says to me, you know, don't take your inhaler. They tell you to take your inhaler. But these things are normal, but once you hit depression and anti-anxiety, then we get to the polarization. It's like politics, right? You're this or you're that. So I'm talking to one guy once and he said, Brett, meds are always good. And I'm like, are you a drug dealer? Like, why? That's not true. Like, meds aren't always good. And someone else said, Brett, meds are always bad. And you might be looking at me saying, well, where do you fall? And I'm like, the world's not black and white. It's a million shades of gray. So do I think we over-medicate? I do. There are some doctors, some, some are phenomenal, but some quickly put people on meds without looking at other things first. Now, if you're in crisis, another conversation. But some people, may, it might be the things we're going to talk about in a minute. There's many other things we could do. Uh, but what if you need meds? I went on meds, I call it my pre-breakdown for the five months. Then I went actually on no meds after that. And five months in, one of my doctors said, Brett, can I challenge you to take meds? I'm like, I'm not even working, sure, love a debate. And so he said, um, what would you do right now if your arm was like dangling broken in front of me? And I said, oh, I'd let you cast me. And he said, Brett, this is the most unmedical thing I've ever said in my life. He says, Brett, your brain's broken, let me cast you. And I remember kind of going, hmm, I'm presently not on meds. Uh, if I need to go back on meds, I will. And my chair just went backwards, uh, sorry. I actually was at a conference once and I rolled off the stage and fell backwards off the stage. So moving backwards is okay. Um, completely lost my train of thought there. Um, 
Uh, I'm not presently on meds. If you ever need to, I would encourage you to Google the impact study at KMH, and KMH is with a C, the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. They actually do a DNA sample on you and actually tell you what meds might work, what might not work, and kind of what's in the middle. Uh, if after my three-minute conversation on meds, you're like, Brett, I don't care. Meds are always wrong. Here's my response to you. That's okay. I think you're wrong, but that's okay. You and me can have differing opinions on things and still be brothers and sisters in Christ. We can still be friends. It's interesting today that too often it's kind of like if we have differing opinions, uh, we're now not like even Christian. I have 12 to 15 emails from people who say because I'm sitting when I'm speaking, I'm not a Christian anymore. Let that one sink in just for a second. Like we believe that in the Trinity, the resurrection, and standing while speaking is like the major tenets of Christian faith. Differing opinions are okay. By the way, differing opinions are good, right? But we have to make sure opinions are based on real things, not just opinions sometimes, but we can challenge each other. The one thing that's not okay is to shame someone who makes a different decision than you. I'm reading a book recently, and uh, in it, the author calls people with uh, anxiety temporary atheists. Anyone here a book thrower? Like, I would have hurled that book across the room, but I'm, I'm on my iPad. I'm not throwing my iPad. I kind of fake through it a little bit. I just felt sad because if they believe, if this guy just believes that because I have some anxiety, I'm not trusting in Jesus, he doesn't understand anxiety. And they went on to say that all, it's been proven that all meds don't work anyways. And I'm like, when did that get proven? I'm a researcher, so I go on a med, I'm on the Mayo Clinic, I'm printing off that big page. As a side note, do you ever take Tylenol and unravel that white piece of paper that's this big? Like, we don't do it. Uh, but I clicked on the asterisk on my iPad, it says a study in the British Journal of Medicine. I'm like, that's a very dangerous thing to throw out when you're not even telling me the study. John Lockley says, being depressed is bad enough, but being a depressed Christian is worse. And being a depressed Christian in a church full of people who do not understand depression is like a little taste of hell. Now, this is not every church. This is just a, a kind of an overarching statement, but sometimes people say this, well, Christians don't deal with these kinds of things. You know, we know Jesus. If that's true, it's not. But if it's true, it means one of two things. The person struggling is either not therefore a Christian or the person struggling is therefore not struggling. And if it's false, what kind of extra pain and unnecessary guilt do we heap upon an already darkened mind and a broken heart? And I would call that the very simple term of religious abuse. The Psalms treat depression more realistically than many of today's popular books on Christianity and psychology. David and other psalmists, they often found themselves deeply depressed for various reasons. They did not, however, ever apologize for what they were feeling, nor did they ever confess it as a sin. It was just this legitimate part of their relationship with God, and they interacted with God through the context of their depression. If you read through the scriptures, people struggled. Look through Old Testament prophets, the book of Psalms. People ball their fists in rage and scream at God. How about darkness is my closest friend? Now, Paul's an interesting one. If you ever read books on cancer or other things, Paul has everything. And I kind of started wondering, why are they saying that? And I realized it's because Paul talks about having a thorn in his side. He wanted this thorn in his side to be taken away. And from what we read in scriptures, it wasn't. But you can't, like, here's what we know about Paul's thorn in his side from the scriptures. Nothing. We know nothing. We know he had something. He wanted it to be taken away. And from what we read, it wasn't. Now, I have no problem if you're like me and you're like, I really like Paul and his writings. And, you know, if, if he had something really bad, and I think I have something that's really bad, and it wasn't taken away for him, and it's not being taken away from me, but if Paul can handle it, I can handle it, that's okay. But I can't just say Paul has anxiety. So two huge questions we're going to do really quickly, but is there hope and is there healing? Is there hope? Yes. Is that not the basis of the Gospels that we believe in? Hope, healing, redemption, restoration. Now, there's two sides to this coin, though. Do those of us who struggle with mental health always have hope? No. Do I have 1% hope? 1% I'm going to sleep through the night tonight? No. I haven't slept through the night for eight years, 2,000 plus nights. Now, tonight, I may only wake up five times. That's my hope, as opposed to seven. My wife says she hopes for me. My counselor wants to give me hope for hope. It's like the movie Inception years ago, like drilling down layers of hope, and I still think that's good. Uh, is there healing is an interesting one. I'm at a church once, and I say, oh, that's an interesting one, and a man shouts out, it's interesting, we are passionate about these kinds of conversations, and he shouts out, don't you think when you're dead and in heaven you'll be healed? And I'm like, oh, sorry, I didn't think we were talking about that. Yes. But no one's ever asked me that. No one's ever walked up after a talk and said, Brett, this is my daughter, this is my wife, my husband, my whoever. Um, when they're dead, will they be better? Like, no one's ever said that to me. What you walk up to me on a weekly basis is you say this, 
Brett, I, my loved one, is struggling. When might they be better? Right now, you might be saying before March break, my students, before they you know, graduate and, and head off somewhere next year, we as adults might be saying, I've been off work for five months. Is there a chance I might be going back soon? If I had to summarize 23 years, I was teaching for 10, but I, I've been speaking uh, throughout it as well. But if I summarize all those years, think of a Pac-Man. If you're like, who's Pac-Man? We can chat later. But a pizza with one piece taken out, most of that are people who say this, I went through a journey and it changed me. My journey has changed me forever. I will never be the same. It's changed how I view the world. It's changed how I drive. It's changed how I hug. <laughs> it changes what mattered to me. But people say, I came back to an almost wholeness or a different wholeness because big things change us. Then there's the mouth of the Pac-Man. Most of that, not all of it, but most of it are people who say this, I'm not in crisis, but I'm not better. That's me. It might be you. I'm here today. I'm working. I'm not at home, but I'm not better. And you know what? That's okay. It's okay to not be okay. Like, I, I love that sentence. But then there's the sliver, and we don't like this, but there's a reality to it. If you've ever taken a mental health first aid course, and I would encourage you all to, but if you do, there are some mental health conditions that you will probably have forever. And I said it with a caveat, and I'll come back to that. But, and if that's you, we as the church get to love you and be the church to you, support you, bring you meals. I read once that mental illness is a non-casserole illness. Think through that one for a second. So, and that's an old word, casserole, I get it. It means you don't give food. Uh, two summers ago, I had a fall off my bike. I broke eight bones. Never broken a bone before, I break eight, everything on my left side. Uh, so I'm at home and people bring me food. When I was at home for five months not working with mental health, very few conversations on that. It's interesting how we view it. Uh, but that sliver, if, if, if you are struggling, we can be the church to you. And I also say a caveat, unless you get miraculously healed. And we pray for healing. I once had 20,000 people, I was humbled, 20,000 people praying for me every day for almost my first year of my journey, and I did not get better. And God is still God, and I'm still not. I think sometimes we have this idea that, you know, if we pray, we will get better. And it doesn't always work that way, but I still pray for healing. So what do you do if you pray and you don't get healed? Well, I wanna walk through what I'm just gonna call the first steps the baby steps, the first chess move. I'm at home, uh, my wife has challenged me to start creating a talk, and so I'm thinking of this image of everyone telling me, have you tried? Because I'm not gonna come to you and say, have you tried everything? And so I printed off every email I've ever got, they're all over my floor, they're pinned to my wall, and I remember just saying, God, help me. And so I, I sat down and I found that every single email said that they talked to somebody, and then they all talked about how they got some kind of help. And I'm like, good, who did you talk to? And what did you do? Because if everybody talked to their pastor, their teacher, their parent, great, we know what to do. I filled pages after pages. My teacher, my doctor, uh, you know, my counselor, my pastor, my youth worker, my friend, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, it was like everybody. But then I'm like, but if we all just drank those milkshakes, right? Every, this is easy. Again, 12 pages I filled. The first person said, Jesus healed me. I'm like, awesome. The second person said, the MRI healed me. And I'm like, those are very different things. And then it was running, and then it was vitamin B12, and then it was changing my pace of life. And I leaned back on all my pages and I said, I quit. Which is ironic because I'm not even working, but I'm like, I'm not, if that's my talk, like everyone break into groups, think what everyone should do and tell each other and then go do those things, I'm not doing it. And I leaned back and I'm lying on the ground, I look to my left, one of the emails said Jesus, one said Holy Spirit, and I'm like, okay, those are similar things. And I kind of pushed them together. And then I sat up and I'm like, I'm gonna move things into piles. And three weeks later, I had three piles. So let me tell you my piles. Now, no one's ever said that. That sounds weird in some ways. Um, this is an open hand, meaning if you want it, like this is, I'm not changing it. This is, I'll change anything. Any talk I ever do, if you have ideas or thoughts, please let me know. I become better as a speaker, as a parent, as a leader when I get challenged. But here's my thought, my point. If you wanna change these things, you can. I've spoken this talk to between half and three quarters of a million people and not a single person's ever told me different piles. So here's the piles I found. Piles of the body, doctor's good for that, piles of the mind, a counselor, and piles of the soul. And God, this could be prayer teams or different things. As I'm looking through this and liking this, because this is my church motto, every church I've ever attended my whole life, including the church I go to now, meeting the physical, spiritual, and emotional needs of our community. 
But at this moment, when I'm creating this, I am reading a book by Rick Warren. I'm on one of his YouTube videos in their church. Whether you like Rick Warren or not, as a side note, his church is the leading church on earth talking about mental health and Christianity. They actually do these ongoing symposiums. If you're interested, make sure you sign up. Their church uses this, seven, first three, body, mind, or soul, different order. My daughter Zoe at this point is in grade four. My son's in grade three. I pictured my daughter out in the schoolyard for recess, and someone's like, I have anxiety. And she's like, physical, spiritual, emotional, vocational. I'm like, she's not saying vocational in grade four. And I'm like, I actually really like body, mind, and soul. I'm a kinesiology major. We talked about this. Modern psychology uses this, but the soul is a bit different. Uh, and so I'm like, people are going to love this. I think it's based on 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Now may the sp- uh, God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete. Well, there's body and soul, and then we have a mind, like you have one, right? Will, thinking, choices, beliefs, attitude. Uh, and so I'm like, I like body, mind, and soul. So I go to my first talk, I'm like, people are going to love it. At the end, the guy puts up his hand, he says, Brett, um, 1 Thessalonians says soul and spirit. Why did you throw away the spirit? like, okay, that sounds horrible. Um, and I paused and I said, um, uh, uh, MDiv major, like Masters of Divinity at a Bible college. He said, yeah, how'd you know? And I'm like, by the question you're asking me. Um, and I said, a tripartite theology debate. And he said, oh, you know what I'm talking about? I'm like, no, I read an essay. The first three paragraphs lost me and I was done. Everyone was just kind of staring like deer in the headlights. And I'm like, you know what? Forget it. Fine. Body, mind, soul, and spirit. I don't like it as much. It's a little more of a Christmas tree. I go to my next talk, and uh, someone at the end of my talk puts up their hand and said, Brett, I'm really angry with you right now. I'm like, why? And they said, why is Jesus last? This took me a minute. I'm like, why is Jesus? I'm like, oh, you think this is Jesus? And the guy's like, yes. I'm like, no, and this isn't one, two. It's not like you do this. If this doesn't work, you do this. I'm like, these are like three circles. You ever seen those old diagrams of three circles? Like everything affects everything. If you get sick right now, if you get bronchitis or the flu, it's winter bronch, whatever, um, you're not going to have, like your body isn't great. At the same time, your mind's not great. You're not writing great essays or articles or thinking on things, and you're not having the best devotional moments of your life. Everything affects everything. I said to him, can I ask you a question? The guy says, sure. I said, do you think if if someone takes insulin for diabetes that Jesus is up in heaven saying, oh no, I'm last? He said, I don't know can we debate better? Like, I don't know. It's not a good answer. I'm like, you know what? Forget it. Fine. Jesus is first. And so uh, now we have this. And I go to my third talk and I'm like, I'm not doing this anymore. As a speaker, if you're not passionate about what you do, it doesn't work. And I'm like, this is it. I get to the end of the talk. A guy puts up his hand. I'm like, oh no. I said, yes. And he goes, I'm so angry with you. And I'm like, why is everyone angry with me? And he actually said out loud, Brett, why is Jesus not bigger? And I'm like, I quit. So now the analogy is bigger Jesus, smaller mind, and I went home going, I'm done. But on my way home, I remember thinking to myself this. I think we're arguing about two different things. One of them is a theological construct of what we're made up of. This is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what do you do today after church when you don't feel good? What do you do as a parent when your kid comes home from school and their hands are shaking a bit? What do we do when we don't know what to do with things like mental health or other things? And I think body, mind, and soul is fantastic. Now, your issue might be physical, so go see a doctor. It might be mental, emotional, psychological, go see a counselor. Your issue, for the most part, will not be answered by your faith, but your faith sustains you in your journey. Too often we think, like, this will fix our journey. And for very few people, it will be the answer. But for all of us, our faith sustains us in our journeys. I'm at a talk recently. Someone says, Brett, do Christians have less struggles with mental health? Good question. I'm like, no. I was wrong. Psychology today says yes. But what they talk about is the term religiosity. Now, in church, we talk about we have a faith in Jesus, right? It's not the things we do, but it's the things we do that actually help us as Christians have better mental health. Because what are we doing? It's a Sunday morning. Where are you? Together. You're having conversations with people. Things like loneliness, which are epidemic today, alienation, isolation. You're together. We have churches with small groups. We do functions together. We get together. All those things help protect us from some of these things. Now, I want to go through body, mind, and soul, but please hear the language I just said. It's body and mind and soul. I'm an and person, not an or person, meaning it's not prayer or medication. It might be prayer and medication. 
It's a very important thing to listen because the language is really, really important. So let me walk through what I did in my journey. My journey will not be yours. It might be, but this is what I did. I went for a physical. I had blood work done. I'm now at what's called a functional medicine clinic, doctors and naturopaths who work together. And so I get blood work done every 12 weeks. Um, I've been to a sleep specialist. Anybody been to a sleep specialist before? Quick show of hands. If you have, you know, these photos, like you go, they stick things all over your face. They're like, good night. And you're like, what? Like, and suddenly you have to go to sleep. I got up in the morning and the doctor said, uh, you have sleep fragmentation. I said, can you fix me? He said, no. And I must have looked down. He said, no, no, look at me. He said, this is a good thing. You don't want some of the sleep things that will affect you for life. He said, you don't, you don't want that. This is good. It's a tick mark. This is not what's going on. I actually have a YouTube video here on um, how to have better sleep hygiene. Friend of mine in Alberta, youth pastor, off work, long period of time like me, unwell. Uh, his church is not wanting him to go to doctors. They believe the spiritual realm plays a greater role. And so I said to him one day, just go to a sleep clinic. Like his sleep was just brutal. So he goes in the morning, uh, he says to the doctor, what's wrong? And he, the doctor says, you have the worst sleep apnea I've ever seen in my career. And the guy's like, can you fix me? And the doctor says, yeah. He went home and got one of the, I call them Darth Vader machines, um, CPAP, BiPAP machines. He's better in one day. Now, the next morning, after an eight-hour sleep, he walked into his church. Thank goodness the pastor was smart and said, go home. Like, he's not fully better yet, but if you don't sleep and you get a good night's sleep, it is life-changing. Medicine, I'm not on medicine. I do keep what's called Ativan with me in case I'm having a bad day. It brings me down a bit. I've had CAT scans. I've had MRIs. I had an MRI because my brain doctor, because I'm dizzy, my brain neurologist said to me, I wonder, this is actual conversation. He leans back in a chair and says, I wonder if you have a brain tumor. I'm like, what? And he said, oh, I said that out loud. I'm like, yeah, you just said to the guy with anxiety, hey, you might also have a brain tumor. I didn't sleep at all for days. I got a, a call from the hospital down in Leslie. They said, we have a cancellation. I'm like, yes. And so I went in, no brain tumor. I read the best books in the world. I've had a naturopath, nutritionist, referrals, uh, allergists. Here's the truth. Some of these things are just natural consequences to your unsustainable life. Somebody once said, is it even biblical looking at the body? I'm like... For, for those of you, but I'm 48. If you're more my age, remember the 1990s? We talked about the New Age movement. We've so swung from that sometimes that if the answer's not Jesus, we believe like other things aren't good. Eating good is good. Like health, like the, 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 the body is mentioned throughout the scriptures. Our body is the temple, running the good race, all of these things. So here's what I would say to all of you. Take back control of what you can. Eat better. I'm not saying you can't ever have a burger, fries, and a Coke. Maybe it becomes a burger, a salad, and a club soda. Uh, sleep more. And I'm talking to the adults, not the students. Every 10 years older you get, statistics say we watch more TV. And exercise, do something. I had a really bad Christmas. I was not feeling good. I've also been diagnosed with Lyme disease back in May, so I'm having a lot of struggles. And I remember I was home, one of my Christmas events, and at New Year's Eve I didn't go out. And I remember saying to myself, what would I tell someone in my shoes? And I remember having this weird conversation. I said, I would tell myself, what can you do, not what can't you do? And I'm like, well, I can walk and I can eat better. And so January 1, I began walking 5K a day. It's been one month. I'm down 10 pounds and my exercise has helped me, I think, in so many ways. I'm still unwell, but you can have bad mental health, but also have good kind of perspective at the same moment. Right? You can be unwell but not have depression and other things. So it's an interesting thing I'm doing. And I'm, but for you, just do something. My wife does Zumba class. I don't even know what that is. Like, but exercise, go do something. Do these things. While you're doing this, get some perspective. I didn't realize I had two roads. My road, I just thought, was to destruction. My counselor helped me heavily. You get, uh, my counselor gave me a framework. When I'm, I sound like Drake, on the bottom, and I want to be on top. When I'm not well, and I want to get better, you don't just get better. It's just process to get better. No one had to tell me to not speak 32 times in 14 days. But I have busy seasons, and so do you. Depending what work environment you are in, like if you're a tax consultant, right, there's this busy season. If you're in, like I've, uh, I was in Alberta, a lot of the farmers have these busy farming seasons and then they're off, but you need to make sure your life is balanced, support for your emotions, care for your family, anxiety management, referrals, psychiatry, 
Now let me just pause for one sec. The moment I say psychiatry in a church world, sometimes people say, but Brett, doesn't that have a different worldview than we have as Christians? And I would say, maybe. But not everything Christian is good and not everything quote-unquote secular is bad. But we as Christians have a different worldview, so we need to put everything through like a, a sieve. Like, should we say yes? Should we say no? Right? We can question things. And the last one just says, have fun. We stop having fun in grade 11. Grade 12s, you work, I got a grade 12, very hard because the averages you need for certain schools are big. And then for me, I was in school, you had to work hard. And then I was in teacher's college, then I was a teacher, then I was married, then I had kids. And like suddenly you're like, my counselor said to me once, what do you do for fun? And I'm like, I work. She's like, no. And I said, she said, what do you do for fun? I'm like, well, I run. And she's like, well, that's adrenaline. What do you do for fun? And I'm like, I don't know. And I've had the, t- I now garden. It might sound crazy, but there's something about the birth and the life of gardening. I do photography now. If you like debates, as a side note, on like Christianity and psychology and science, please Google a guy named Ed Stetzer. Ed Stetzer's website is off the Christianity Today website. Really good debates on that. While you're doing that, faith, pray. Of course we pray. Study, worship, come to church, realizing worship is everything we do in life. Have a day, a Sabbath, a day of faith, family, and friends. And today, a faith, family, friends, and a Super Bowl. (laughs) Guidance, get some. Living in the tension, we're going to come back to. Spiritual disciplines are the foundations of our faith. Reading, praying, fasting, studying, giving, volunteering. Spiritual direction, restoration, prayer. Our circumstance, your circumstance, my circumstance, will never alter the character of God. God is God, and we are not. How about in these seasons, you just, these seasons, you just say, God, I don't understand, but help me to see you. Teach me what you need me to learn in these moments. When I'm in a public environment, and I now do this for businesses and public schools, this doesn't work. But the truth is the words are different often, meaning, have you ever gone for a walk and someone says it's good for your spirit? Right? A little different language, but these things are still really good for us even as faith-based people. Well-being, purpose, volunteering, gratitude. We have a gratitude jar at home. Anyone have one of these? You know, you, you have little pieces of paper and, and something good happens. I had a great dinner with my family. Rip it off, put it in the jar. Every Christmas season, we start reading through them. If you're like me and struggle with mental health or other unwellness, we have a dark, skewed view of the world, and we forget the good things. You look back at 2019 and go, oh, it was all bad. And then we're ripping out these pages going, oh, yeah, oh, that was great. That was a really good time. Uh, relationships, have good relationships, don't isolate. The spoons analogy just means, think of like five spoons. You may only have a, a small amount of spoons, so don't do things that are irrelevant. Give your spoons to work, to school, to church, those things that matter. Mindfulness is not meditation, it's not thinking on God, it's not just praying and those things, but I use an app called um, Calm, C-A-L-M. It's just the opposite, it's just breathing. Right? Athletes do this, and so when your body is anxious, it's breathing. It's like they have one too if you're ever having a panic attack, and it's like breathe in, hold, breathe out. Breathe in, hold. It's a little bit more than that, but it's very simple. Uh, reflection, family and friends. I put verses up all over my house, things like Nahum 1.7. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. Hmm. Have you ever read Nahum 1.8? But with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of Nineveh. And you're like, Oh, this might not mean exactly as I thought it meant. I'm not saying you can't use verses. I'm just saying the Bible's written in a context. I love Thomas Merton's prayer of abandonment. Basically, it says this. I'm just going to paraphrase. God, I have no idea what's going on, but I will trust you. Like, it's such a simple thing. And in the days when I was lost, and I understand what it's like to be just lost, those are the days you just go, God, I don't understand, but God, I will trust you always. The goal today was to take chaos and to make it something simple. The goal of creating this talk was to take chaos and make it something simple. This is confusing. I like body, mind, and soul. You can all do this. My daughter comes home in grade eight weeping after school. I'm like, who did it? I'll kill him. Like, I'm a dad, right? Mm. And so she walks through the door, and I'm like, what happened? And she's like, no, no, one of my friends is struggling with self-harm. And we sat down. She said, you do this for a living. How do I fix her? I'm like, well, there's one goal you have. It's not fix her. She said, no, no, how do I fix her? We had this like large banter for a while. And I'm like, honey, you have one job. Do you want to know what it is? She said, yeah. I said, your job is to love her. I said, you're in grade eight. I said, I'm in my 40s. I will set in motion if this girl wants the help, because that's an interesting line. If she wants the help, I will. So I called her parents. Parents, hardest thing you'll ever do is to call another parent 
and say, this is what's going on with their kid. Worth it, though. I called the school. Uh, when my daughter got to school on Monday, the school psychologist was there and took my daughter and her friends together to have a conversation. I had a crisis team sent to her door. She was suicidal as well. But I love body, mind, and soul. How many of you are actual like counselors, therapists, psychologists? Quick show of hands. Is there a few? Okay, two or three. You guys can counsel. I can't, and many of you can't. Here's the problem. We think of, like the Bible says, give good counsel. That doesn't mean give good counseling, right? They're different terms. Most of us do this, right? I just feel myself as I'm kind of a catalyst in the middle. Like, here are some good things that you can do. You can say to your best friend, hey, do you want to go for a walk each day for the next month? How about that for a challenge? Walk every day for a month, the most you like, whatever you can. Even if you have to go to a mall and walk through the mall, like it doesn't have to, if it's cold, but do that and see. Eat healthy. How about you go see a counselor? I know many people who say, I got a great counselor. I'll even go with you for the first session. And the counselor would let you in with your friend. And at a certain moment, the counselor will say, Do you mind if your friend leaves? And if your friend says yes, you can go. And, but you've begun that. And of course, we let our churches and our pastors know what's going on because we then know we can pray for you and support you. How does our faith play a role in this, though? Do we trust God is who he says he is? It's an interesting line. If I never get better, God is still God. And if I get better, God is still God. I began researching suffering because I found really it hard just to find any conversation on suffering. And somebody wrote me 36 purposes of God in our suffering. And I'm like, I wrote the guy back. I'm like, did, are you telling me God did this to me? Interesting question. And he wrote back and said, I just Googled suffering and God, and this is what popped up on Google. I'm like, I could see myself doing that. I struggled a lot with what I, I kind of was, I blamed myself for this journey. And then I read a book by a guy named Richard Winter. As a side note, every book I've given you today is in one blog called My Favorite Books on Mental Health. Uh, and so Richard says there's five reasons we suffer, and there's five reasons you will suffer. It's all in these five. And I actually love this. Number one, Genesis 3. Genesis 3 talks about how we're in a fallen world and we're deeply affected by it. A number of years ago, one of my board members, his name was Todd. Todd died having breakfast with his wife. Todd's wife has lupus. He was her caregiver. And you're kind of like, God, I don't understand. Uh, but we're caught up in a fallen world. Last night, uh, my daughter, she's fine, was in a car accident with friends who slid it off the road. Like, but last night, there were probably, I haven't seen the news, someone who skidded off the road and someone passed away. There are things that happen. It was a year ago, we had one of those windstorms in the spring, and there was one guy in Toronto who was walking under one of those entertainment signs. It fell off and killed him. It's like a father of five, and you're just like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, it's just, we live in a fallen world. Number two, we live with the effects of others' sins. One of my best friends growing up was a guy named Warren Parker. Warren was killed by a drunk driver about 16, I think, years ago now. Someone chose to drive drunk. Warren died. It got really quiet all of a sudden. Is that just the air conditioners going off? It's interesting. Sorry. Uh, our own sinful nature. I believe that's me. I think I worked too hard for too long. My friends told me to slow down. I said, I will be fine. I was wrong. I would give anything to have a chance to go back and do it again. But here's the fallacy in that statement. I'm making an assumption that I'd be fine if I did it different. Whereas whether I was teaching or speaking or doing other things, I actually wonder if I had a predisposition to this and it would happen to me no matter what. Now, number four and number five are ones we don't like. And depending on our church backgrounds or not, we either go too much into this or we go too far. But the Bible talks about that there's a spiritual realm. But I would encourage you, don't go here first. The number of teenage girls who say to me, my mom says I'm demonized, and I'm like, have you been to a doctor yet? Like, but the Bible says this. And so it's one of those things we have to wrestle with. And the last one is God's discipline and discipleship. There are verses in the Bible that I'm like, I don't really like that. God tests his people to know what's in their hearts. It's good for me to be afflicted so that I might know your decrees. There are verses you're kind of like, hmm. So which of these is me now? I don't know. And I have a new response, which is this, and I don't care. My life, my all, are for his kingdom, his rule, his reign, his all. I could have never sat here eight years ago and had a conversation on mental health like I can do today. Pastor said to me recently, this is the only talk you speak with authority as opposed to empathy. I'm still mulling through that. It's an interesting sentence. For some of you, though, it might be that something's happened to you, and something like counseling becomes a bigger deal. For some of us, it's, right, we've, we've had an issue, a fallen world. My mom had a brain aneurysm burst a year ago, and that's just part of a fallen world. It's not something my mom did for that. My mom's doing really well, as a side note. So what do we do with verses in the Bible, like Romans 8.28? You know, Romans says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good. And if you struggle with mental health, this is a verse people give you all the time. But it mostly doesn't help us. 
Now here's the problem. Uh, we can't make it say more than it actually says. Like Paul's not saying all things are good. Life will not be good. People will die in car accidents, heart attacks, cancer. Is God still God in the devastation? Yes. Did these people only need to read their Bible more or pray more and then they would have been fine? No. That's actually what I would again call religious abuse. Even in the Bible, everyone who knew Jesus didn't do well. John the Baptist was beheaded. The disciples, other than one, were murdered and martyred. Jesus was murdered. Someone once yelled out, what about Job? And then I replied, what about Job's family? And the, the guy didn't even know what to, he's like, you realize there's a verse in Job that says, and the wind came and the house fell and Job's family died. His children died. Job came back, but with different kids. Interesting. So what do you do with this? Is God's kingdom moving towards its end in Revelation, the book? Yes. Is it good? Yes. Remembering that our good and God's ultimate good are going to be different. A systematic theology professor from a Bible college said, Brett, this is actually a verb, working along with for the good. Well, that changes everything. You know, in other words, whatever your circumstances, however they happen, good or bad, God is fighting for and with you to bring it out for the good. But good isn't, like, I know people who've had struggles with mental health and they've walked away from the church for most of their life. It doesn't always mean there's good, but you can make good from it. If you break your arm, you go to the doctor. If you have cancer, we find an oncologist. We follow protocols. If you go out after this and your, a tree has fallen on your car, we call CAA or somebody with a chainsaw. If your house is burning to the ground, we call 911. If you're having tax issues, we call a tax consultant. If you're needing occupational therapy, we do. My point is, we need to let people with mental health have a journey as well. And we need to give them the freedom to go and walk those paths. I think some of the reasons we have disagreements is we don't talk about it enough. This is my favorite talk on a Sunday morning where we get everybody. Because if we did this on a Saturday night, we would get people, but we might only get 50%, 60% of people. And I think we need to talk about this more and more and more. Remembering too that uh, some people have dark journeys and some people, someone once said to me, it's like Jesus met me in the clouds. And I'm like, wow, my journey's been really dark. We call this, in some ways, what we call a dark night of the soul. Now, the truth is, I think every one of you will have a season in your life where you might say, I don't feel God like I used to. Because that's kind of us as humans, we, like that feeling idea. What's interesting, though, is none of you have ever said, I have a feeling in God. You say, I have a faith in God. But the moment we don't have a feeling, we now question our faith, which is the definition of faith. Faith in the unseen, faith in the unknown. Tim Keller from New York says, faith is not primarily a function of how you feel. Faith is living out, trusting, and believing what truth is despite what you feel. As a side note, John Ortenberg once said, we are known by our fruits, we're not known by our feelings. That's not strawberries and raspberries, right? We're known by the good things that we see, the good things that are happening through life, not by our feelings. So a couple things we're going to do, we're going to be done. I want to give you uh, two slides. Uh, what what I often got, so I'm going to challenge you to never say some things again. We all have, myself included, but I'm just going to encourage you to try to find new things. So one is what I got, and the two, second slide is what you should do. Do some resources, and we're done. Please never again say, everything happens for a reason. Because I don't think it's biblical, and I don't think it's true. Now, if you take everything happens for a reason too far, it becomes what's called determinism. Determinism is actually Islamic. It's actually not Christian faith. Now, even if you believe everything happens for a reason, can I encourage you never to say it to someone who's struggling? Because here's how the conversation goes. Hey, everything happens for a reason. They're like, what reason? You're like, I don't know. And then you leave. Because you don't know. And you leave them in their unwellness, in all of God's sovereignty, to try to figure out what is the reason for what's going on. God must have something amazing planned. He might. But don't tell someone on their darkest day, guess who's doing this to you? Are you still reading your Bible? I get this all the time. Kind of like if you stop reading your Bible, God goes like, bzz, bzz, like that's not how it works. Words from God. Uh, I didn't grow up in a denomination that people would say, well, God told me something, but I'm willing to listen. One lady said, you have lead paint poisoning from all your third world hotels you travel to to speak. And I'm like, I speak 98% in Canada. I live in Hampton Inns most of my life when I travel. And she just turned around and walked away from me was interesting. One second later, God spoke to her about me. I said one line, and now she just doesn't even say anything. God will not give you more than you can handle. This sounds so good, but it's not in the Bible. God won't tempt you more than you can handle is. You can't just translate that over. Someone said recently in a sermon, God won't give you more depression than you can handle. I'm like, that's just not true. 
The people that I've known who've committed suicide in our church worlds, right? People want their pain to end, not their life. It just happens their life ends with it. I think many of us have more than we can handle. I do. Some of you do. But what do we do? We lean back on God in those moments. If you need any help, let me know. All I'm saying for this is just give them the help. Don't say, if you want to go for a coffee, let me know. Don't tell someone who's unwell, you call me for a coffee. Say to them, here's my calendar. What are you doing this week? What day could we go for a coffee? What day can I bring over a lasagna or something? Is there sin in your life? I still get this. I'm like, oh yeah, lots. And then they don't know what to say. Because you get that thinking. Uh, have you tried praying, saying the demonic, and don't tell someone they will be okay because we don't know. Here's what I want you to say. Say, how are you today? Today changes everything. It's a word that I, like, my favorite actually is when someone says to me, sorry, um, why did I flick so much? Uh, my favorite thing that someone says to me is, uh, when someone says, I got five minutes, uh, tell me how you're doing. Because I understand that, right? Oh, I got five minutes, I'm talking about my health. But how are you today? I can answer, praying for you. Do this though, please don't use this as like, we're gonna do lunch and then we never do lunch. Like, do you have some, like, some people write in their Bible, many of us are digital, I use an app called Evernote, and I have an app a folder in it that says prayer requests, so if someone said, you know, would you pray for me, I'd write your name and everything down, say something, say anything, I have friends and family who have never spoken to me about my journey, I don't want everything to be about me, but how about once, just a, how you doing? Give them a hug. I'm not saying after the service, run over to someone you find attractive and give them a hug, like, that's not what I'm saying, but people in your circle, people who you know, it's okay to give someone a hug. Listen to them. Sit with them. Ask how is your struggle going. Talk about something else. And you're all going to read shawarma going, what? Shawarma is healing because food is healing. Darkest day of my life, uh, I've never crossed that line uh, to being suicidal, but I lived on it. Remembering suicide's wanting your pain to end so much you're willing to take your life. I'm sitting on my family room floor, and one of my board members, his wife calls and says, hey, do you want to? She says, sorry, I'm getting you a shawarma. I'll bring it over soon. Uh, if you're ever traveling through Ajax, there's a place called Pita Delights. They are Christians from Nazareth. If Baba Ganoush, Hummus, and Tabuli, if those words fill your soul like they do me. Uh, she came over, passed the bag through the door, said, God bless, left me. I sat on the floor, opened my lunch, took a bite. I remember kind of going, in all my struggles, I smiled and said, there's something about food. Because there's something about food. You know what I miss most about my Baptist roots? Potluck Wednesdays. <laughs> do you know why? Not because of the food, even though it was good, but the community. Because we would sit in front, and the way they staggered it, you'd never sit with your friends. It was me, my friend's dad, his little sister, some, like a grandmother. We would all sit together. And it was just such a great time to get to know people. 2 Corinthians 1, 3, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Some thoughts and we're done. One, please advocate for each other. Please speak out and stand up for each other. Those of us who were unwell, my wife's a nurse. She often would come with me to my appointments. Number two, I say this really gracefully. I wrote this to me, but I just say it to you gracefully. Stop being a victim. Stop making this your identity. Stop wallowing in misery. Dr. Dan Siegel, one of my favorite authors, says we need to help, and I would say everyone understand that the clouds of their emotions can and will roll on by. Perry Noble, if you don't know Perry, you've heard that it's okay to not be okay. Perry actually says it's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. And if you don't know Perry, Perry's been struggling with alcoholism for many years. He's a pastor in the U.S. If one door doesn't work, choose another. If one medication doesn't work, choose another. If one counselor doesn't work, gracefully, choose another. If you're more my age, Bruce Coburn. Bruce used to sing to kick at the darkness till it bleeds daylight. This is a fight. So fight. I see so much apathy in our church world with mental health. So much waiting choose. Like if you choose to do nothing, you choose to stay exactly where you are. We hold the tension of praying and walking through everything that we can do. And we never, never, to quote Winston Churchill, never give up. For friends, family, educators, everyone, we can make our church, our camp, our school a relevant, accepting place for those of us who struggle with mental health by doing one thing, by talking about it. And that's why, again, I said, I just love that we talk about it today. And if today isn't you who's struggling, but someone you love, what can you do? You can go to a counselor and say, my wife, my son, whoever is struggling, can you give me some tips and thoughts on how to help them? Some websites, and we're done. My website is just my name. Uh, it's just Brett Allman. 
Uh, I brought a card with me, and I don't know where it is. Uh, it's just, uh, there's some cards on the table out at the back. Uh, my website, if you click on where it says the talks, all my talks break out. This is the walking wounded, and you will find the take home button there. Every talk that I do, as a side note, has a take home button that you can go and find. Uh, all my talks on sex and pornography, as a side note, I'm actually speaking every Wednesday for the next five or six weeks at uh, Maple Community Church, like just at Jane and, if I say Jane and Fortino's, does that make sense to you? Uh, I don't know what that side street is. Uh, but I'm actually there doing all my talks over the next little bit. I'm with you on Friday night for my parenting talk. Uh, my social media is all there, but there's 750 roughly blogs. Now, I'm a curator. I'm not really a blogger. Meaning, I might say, here's a great website, here's a great resource. I do a weekly YouTube video where I actually walk through really great resources. Uh, and I just uh, would say, if you're able to follow me, great. I walk through everything from, you know, is spanking a sin, how to be a better husband, and there are tons of really great uh, things on mental health. My most recent, 10 ways to make your church a safe space for those of us who struggle with mental health. A couple slides and we're done. I have every talk I do physically and digitally. This is The Walking Wounded. I have four books uh, uh, presently. Uh, two of them are on mental health. This one I wrote with a pastor uh, where actually your pastor Dave came from, uh, People's Church. My friend Adam and I wrote this a few years ago before my breakdown. Good information. Reset is actually a free ebook, or it's all of 99 cents on Amazon. It's just my breakdown put in book form. And then uh, 17 or 18 friends of mine, some of you might know Carrie Newhoff and others, all wrote their journeys. My new book comes out in a few months on parenting. I've got three slides left. Uh, everything that I have is digitally available. Books, uh, why does it keep going back? Uh, books and other conversations are online, and these are some of my favorite books, and you can find these. Two slides and we're done. My counselor said this to me once, and it just changed me. Great courage with great care. Some days... If you're like me, you get up and you're like, I don't know how I'm going to do today. Great courage. Get up. Go to work. Go to school. For some of you, you got to chunk your day. Put on some clothes, like shower, put on clothes, eat breakfast, get to the car. Like just chunk your day and then great care. Meaning you came to church for some of you. Good for you. And you know what? Go home. Great care. Go home. Go for a walk. Do whatever fills you up. And this is the problem. Many of us don't know what fills us up. So as we close, many of these resources, all these emotions, all these struggles, and even the things from the past few weeks, these are big topics. There's nothing, though, that we can't talk about as Christians under the light of the gospel and looking at how we practically implement things in our lives. So here's what I want you to do as we finish. What is one thing that you can do to make your mental health better? Let's make it one more. What is one thing you could also do to help someone who's struggling with mental health? You can only do what you do. You can eat better. You can sleep more, you can exercise daily, you can watch your pace of life. You can let everyone around you do what they do. Counselors, doctors, pastors, teachers, parents, and of course, as faith-based people, we allow God, Father, Son, and Spirit to move in this journey as well. The goal was to push you onto or move you farther down a path of hope, healing, redemption, and rescue, and I pray it's given you some of those things this morning. If you want to chat, I'll be back by my booth. Thank you so much for having me out. Hope to see you soon. Bye-bye.